It is my joy to be here. I don't have a little bag of things to bring out, but if you're seventh grade and above, I'd like to invite you now to come down and sit down here, or maybe not. Maybe you can just stay there if you want. Um, It is a joy to be back um, with you today. I've even recognized faces of people that we knew many years ago. Back in 1998, when we moved out here, we were really having a hard time finding a church. So we had visited several, and there was one that my wife and I had landed on. We felt like it was a good fit for us, uh, but we wanted it to be a family decision, and one of our children had a real bad experience there. And so we just were discouraged. And on a Sunday afternoon, my mother called me. My family lives in Birmingham, Alabama, Roll Tide. She called me on a Sunday afternoon, and she said, Son, you'll never guess who was sitting next to us in church today. And you're right, I won't. Who? She said, Someone from Southern California is Whittier near where you live. I said, Yeah, it's right down the road. Well, they go to a church there that you have to visit, they said. It's called Whittier Hills Baptist Church. And I was like, Mom, we've been to every church out here. I mean, what else are we going to find? Well, the next Sunday, we decided to go to Whittier Hills, and it was just a wonderful experience. We never looked back. Uh, We stayed there. The Lord used Whittier Hills in the lives of our family as we came out here. Um, We never thought we'd live in California, anywhere on the other side of the Mississippi, Uh, We're that outlaw part of our family living way out here, but God used the church to really minister to us. In fact, after being there a few years, uh, some of you would remember Dan Deming. He had that, I think it was an automobile accident or something, and he was having difficulty with his position. I actually stepped in, was on staff there for just a little bit as well. So eventually God called us to Grace Evangelical Free Church in La Mirada, where we were a part of a pastoral team, and I resigned from that position uh, end of August of last year, so I've got a whole new, different experience in my life right now, which has been good for me and Joni and for our family. This is my wife, Joni, uh, down here, and so she's been my partner for 32 years, and I'm glad she gets to be a part of my life. All that means is I'm old, <laughs> slowly getting up there. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning. And so I would invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. You are going through a series in Luke, one of my favorite Gospels, especially because you have a companion in the book of Acts as well, the whole Luke Acts, life of Jesus, life of the early church. I love going through this particular Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 8 in verses 1 through 21 this morning, but I am going to focus my attention uh, for the most part, maybe all on the first 15 verses of this particular chapter. Jesus wants to make it clear what it means to be a disciple. Where would we be without the gospel? I'm assuming that you are in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. I also know there could be here those people who are not in that personal relationship with Jesus, but we just celebrated the gospel, death, burial, resurrection, and now we are declared righteous be by, just simply by putting our faith in Jesus. That's amazing. Well, Jesus, throughout his years on the face of this earth, was um, teaching those followers of him about what it means to be a disciple. And we actually have that in this particular passage here. Not only what it means to be a disciple, but he really wants us to look at the, the state of our heart. 
wants us to think about what we do with his word. We're going to look at seed here that's being sown, and that seed is the word of God. What, what happens when the word is sown and it lands on your heart? Jesus wants us to think about that, especially the word of the gospel. We're coming out of chapter 7, where at the end of chapter 7, you have this incredible scene with who I'll call the sinner woman and the religious leader. What's the condition of their heart? See, that becomes a very important question. Jesus is after those who are going to be responsive to him, those who are going to follow him. And so if we could pull out our hearts today, just imagine you being able to pull out your heart. If I was like Steve, I'd have some object lesson here. I'd stick my hand in my shirt and pull something out here and let you look at it. But imagine the heart being soil, because you're going to need to think about that today pulling your heart out, looking at it, and it's soil. And what, what, what's the soil consist of? That's what Jesus would want us to think through. This parable, especially in the first part of this chapter, is going to really encourage us to reflect honestly on our heart and on our relationship with Jesus. One of the things you find when you read through the Gospels is relationship with Jesus is never casual, It's never, I'm kind of in relationship with Jesus. That doesn't exist. When you listen to what Jesus says and you pay attention to the the words of the gospel, it's very clear that you either follow Jesus or you don't. And that's part of what Jesus' focus here is in calling us to look at these different soils of the heart. Jesus is going to look at four different soils and he's going to say, no, no. No, yes, this is what a follower of Jesus actually looks like. And what brings the yes? See, that's going to be the important question for us. What is it that brings the yes to that particular type of soil? And the way I want us to look at this is not just focus on the fourth soil, but try to learn from the other three soils what it is that we as followers of Jesus need to be doing so that we can be that fourth soil. In other words, these other soils provide situations, circumstances, life events that actually could trip us up from being the kind of soil that God wants us to be. And maybe today you've been tripped up a little Maybe today you, you, you have this good soil in your heart that is now being littered with other things that are keeping that growth from taking place in your life. Followers of Jesus are people who fight through the stuff of life, the stuff that opposes Jesus, fights through all that and eventually bears fruit. That's what we're going to find. So am I a follower of Jesus? Jesus is going to say, well, let's look at your heart and let's see. So let me read all the verses that we're supposed to look at today, and then we'll focus in on what we have time to look at. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. 
And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, and so here's his parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they got out on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Jesus goes on and he says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known or come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has more, the one who has more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Let's pray. Lord, we are here today because we love you and because we want to hear from you. Lord, we've already celebrated the gospel, the good news that has changed our lives, and we're grateful for it. And Lord, in these verses this morning, with the time that we have, we ask that you would move in our hearts and teach us the things that you want us to learn. Lord, I pray that you would enable each one of us to focus in on your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in our midst and accomplish the work that you intended to accomplish. Lord, we pray today that our hearts truly would be good soil that receives and responds and that your word bears fruit today. So we give this time to you and we pray that you would work And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we work our way through this, especially the first parable, before we even begin that, I want you to see the connection between these 21 verses. The parable of soil is about the seed being sown. Notice how Jesus ends in verse 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's good soil is what Jesus is saying. That's another way to say The seed fell on good soil, and they received it, and it bore fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. Those who are my family 
are those who actually do God's will. They follow right behind me. They're a part of what's going on. The second item that Jesus is teaching on verses 16 through 18 is going to have to do with soil as well. Because the point that Jesus is making there is that what you've been giving, you need to do something with that. You need to respond to that. When the seed is sown, soil needs to receive that seed, nurture, allow that growth that takes place so a plant comes up and then it produces fruit. Jesus says, you need to be careful. When you've been given, do something with it. Because if you don't, what you think you have will be taken away. So really, all of these verses are being pulled together by God's Word being delivered, either in a sermon or in quiet time when we open up our Bibles and receive, or when we are riding down the road and we have a radio on and we are listening. The Word of God is being scattered. Seed is being sown. And what is going to be our response to it? Jesus wants us to see the good soil. He also wants us to see, verse 21, my family are those who actually do the word. So that's why we're being faced this morning is what is it that we do with the word? Now, briefly, in verses 1 through 3, we've got a a summary statement, a little transition uh, type paragraph that Luke and the other gospel writers use these on occasion, simply trying to bring a summary to what's going on, trying to connect one incident, moving on to the next incident. And so we've got another summary statement. Jesus is continuing his ministry. And what is he doing? He's proclaiming the kingdom and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. That's another way of saying Jesus is sowing seed. He's scattering seed. That's what Jesus is doing. And so that's why the parable has everything to do with Jesus's ministry and how people are responding to him. Jesus also, or these three verses also make it clear that there are some who are doing the will of the Father. They are becoming followers of Jesus. Now, we know that even amongst the 12, there's Judas Iscariot who's going to walk away. But overall, there are people who are following Jesus. They're actually giving out of their means so that Jesus can be supported and continue this work that he is doing. We've got the 12. We've got three women that are highlighted, showing their importance and value to the mission. But then we also have these others, many others who are there. There are some who are giving their lives to Jesus, who are throwing their lot in with him, who are wanting to do the will of the Father like him. And, so, and then that brings us into this parable here. A great cloud, crowd gathers, we see in verse 4. People from town after town. Jesus' fame is spreading. And so even as he walks along, people are gathering together. Jesus is going to take advantage of this opportunity, and he's going to tell this parable. And so why a parable? We already saw at the end of chapter 7, I don't know how many weeks ago it was you went through that, last week or a few weeks back, a type of parable But Jesus is going to begin teaching in parables now, and he explains why in verses 9 and 10. Look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 8. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you, these are those who are following him, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. I'm giving you eyes that see and a heart that receives. But for others... They are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand, 
Now, the parable is this, and Jesus is going to go on explaining them. Now, this seems like rather mean of Jesus to do this. I mean, give everybody equal access. But when you step back and you look at the Gospels, parables become an increasing focus because people are rejecting Jesus. In other words, they've been given an opportunity. Jesus, just think about the first seven chapters of Luke. He has demonstrated so clearly that he is the Messiah. Think of all the miracles that he's performed. Demons being cast out, lame walking. Just think of those. These are the kind of indicators that the Old Testament said when you see these things coming, God is about to initiate something very radically different. The kingdom of God will be in your midst. And Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom. He's giving evidence to the fact that he is Messiah. He is one to be listened to. But we've already seen antagonism. People are turning away. People are opposing. They don't want to follow Jesus. There's a division. The line's being drawn in the sand. And so now, when you move into this part of the gospel, Jesus starts speaking in parables. And he says, for those of you who are following me, you're going to know the secrets of the kingdom. That's almost exactly what he's saying in verses 16 through 18. What you have, if you respond to it, if you do something with it, I'm going to give you more. You are the you who will receive the secrets of the kingdom. If you reject me, if you push away, then you are those others. I'll speak to you in parables. It's like you have eyes and you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. You see, rejection of Jesus has consequences. And it's in God's mercy that he continues to open up the door and draw people to himself. But Jesus is going to use parables. You can see more about what Jesus says about parables in Matthew chapter 10 or 13 in verses 10 through 17. He gives a little bit longer explanation about what he's doing um, with the speaking in parables. But there are many obstacles in following Jesus. And so people are going to walk away. They're not going to follow him. Wide is the road that leads to destruction is what Jesus says. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And so this parable is going to explain some of the difficulties and it's going to highlight what it means to be a true follower of Jesus by looking at the soil. So we've got four types of soil here. We've got the first one. There's no plant at all that grows up. It says the sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. There's no plant. You've got soil number two, and some fell on the rock. So it finds a little bit of soil, and as it grew up, so there is a plant, it withers away because it has no moisture. So there's a plant, but it dies. Then you've got the third soil, and some fell among the thorns in verse 7. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And so you've got that plant growing, but it just chokes and we see later that it, it's, it may survive, but it doesn't bear fruit. And then in verse 8, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. It bore fruit. Now, you read that, and if you work with soil at all, you get it. I'm trying to transform my front yard. Died last summer, and I'm trying to grow it back. I'm trying to get drought-tolerant stuff, trying to reduce the size of my grass. And so I'm doing a lot with soil. 
You, back in Alabama, we would call the soil here concrete. I mean, that's what it is. Just chip away at it, try to put some additives to it, maybe loosen it up just a little bit. I mean, it's amazing what I find in my soil here. So I'm working a lot with soil. So there are things that can inhibit growth. Moisture is really important in Southern California. You've got thorns and all the weeds. I mean, why is it that weeds grow so well? I mean, I just never can get that. I mean, I want to find a a pretty weed so I can grow it in my yard. That's why I have St. Augustine grass. They tell me it's a weed. I don't know why it doesn't choke out other things that grow. But there's a lot of things that can inhibit the growth and the bearing of fruit that we can find. But as we look at each one of these soils, rather than say this is not what it means to be a disciple, I'm going to try to take what is the lesson that this particular soil is teaching us about what it means to be a disciple. So let's look at the first one. What we're going to find big picture is a follower of Jesus is one who stays the course endures with patience, you saw at the end of the the parable as Jesus taught it, without being disheartened by difficulty. There's so many difficulties that can come our way and we can just turn away from Jesus. But no, this person stays the course, is not disheartened by difficulty or distracted by worldly things. They stay the course to the point that they actually bear fruit. So soil number one, When we look at this soil, again, we've already seen it falls on these trampled places on the path. You can't grow good um, plants when people are walking on it all the time. The birds of the air take it away. The, The seed is not even able to get down into the dirt. Notice what Jesus says about it in verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard... That's what Jesus is doing. He's proclaiming the kingdom. The religious leaders are hearing, but they're not hearing. They're seeing, but they're not seeing. They've heard the word. Then the devil comes and takes the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Now, Jesus brings a real strong focus on the devil in this particular one. But we know what this looks like in all of life. People just have hang-ups about who Jesus is. The gospel is preached and nothing. Now, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 23 and 24 says the, the, the gospel is preached to the Gentiles' foolishness, to the Jews' a stumbling block. Those are the others, but to those who believe the power of God unto salvation. See, the Gentiles, they, there's just, they've got all these obstacles in the way. The Jews, they've got all these obstacles in the way. There's these hang-ups that people have. The Jews, that's foolishness. The Gentiles, ah, you claim to be the son of God, that's blasphemy. And whatever it might be, people have their hang-ups. Think about some of the hang-ups that people have in our world today. If God is so great, then why did he allow evil and suffering? That's a good question, isn't it? And that can be a hang-up. And that seed can lay there on that heart and the birds of the air can come and just take that away. I'm too busy for Jesus in the church. The church is full of hypocrites, and I'd rather not be one of them. There may be struggles out there in the church, but these become hang-ups for people. I have a friend. I work out at the Brea Community Center, 6 o'clock Monday through Friday. So I've developed friends throughout the time, and Tom is one of my friends. He goes to the Catholic church over in Brea, 
And we've had many conversations about Jesus. And I really believe he's going to become a follower of Jesus one day. I'm just absolutely just confident he's going to. But he's always got something he's pushing back at me. He's always got some little hang-up. The gospel is just laying there. And the birds of the air are taking it away. But Jesus says here about the work of Satan. What does 2 Corinthians 4, 4 say? The God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. As we, as believers, scatter the gospel and it lands on people's hearts, we are up against what Ephesians 6 tells us, the rulers and the powers and authorities of darkness. Satan opposes the scattering of that seed, and Jesus makes that very clear. In the same way that Jesus is hard at work, Satan is hard at work, fighting for the souls of humanity. But soil number one does not reflect the heart of a true disciple. Jesus says no. So what is it that we can learn from this? What is a true disciple? A true disciple is one who receives and responds to the seed that is sown. It's not taken away. It actually gets down into the soil and there's a response to that seed. And so as we think about this particular soil, perhaps there is someone here today where that seed has been scattered on your heart over and over and you've got your hangups and you've been pushing it away. Jesus would say to you, receive that seed. Receive that gospel. Respond to that gospel. Or maybe you've been scattering that seed to others and, and you're growing weary. The Bible says it's the power of God into salvation, and then you say, Why doesn't so and so get saved? This passage would say, Keep scattering that seed because you're up against the rulers of darkness. You're up against something big, but you've got to keep scattering because one day it's going to land and there'll be a response and there'll be a reception to that. So a follower of Jesus receives the word, responds, believes is what Jesus says, and is saved is what happens when that seed lands on that kind of heart. But let's go on to the second soil. The second soil, what can we learn from this particular soil? In verse 6 it says, And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture. So there it is on that rock. It, it can't get its roots down into the dirt so it can suck up that moisture. It withers away. Jesus says this in verse 13, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while in a time of testing fall away. You see, Jesus sounds like a good idea, and they receive it with joy, but then they fall away. There's a moving toward faith, and then they stop. There's an important passage, Deuteronomy 8, 2. If we had time to look at Deuteronomy 8, it'd be so powerful. But in Deuteronomy 8, Jesus, I mean, God talks to the nation of Israel about taking them through the wilderness. And he brings them up against all kinds of difficulty. And in Deuteronomy 8, 2, it says, in those times, I was testing you. Why? To know what was in your heart. And so these tests come along and, and they grow us to see what's in our heart. Is that a seed that's in good soil or is it on that rock, not able to get its roots down? If it's not, it's just going to wither away. And so those testings of life, 1 Corinthians 10 
13 is one of those passages as well. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says this. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. When you step back and you look at God's word, you see very clearly God brings, even into the lives of believers, difficulties to get our attention, to see what's in our heart. And there are some who turn away because of that. And Jesus says this, from this particular seed, what is it that we can learn? Not only are we to receive the word and respond to it, we are to remain responsive, even in the midst of difficulty when life is not going your way. And we all know what that's like, don't we? We all know what that's like to have moments, if you're like me anyway, where you've been trying to walk faithfully and you watch what's happening in other people's lives. It's not happening in yours. You seem to get the the short end of the stick, the raw end of the deal all the time. And you've got problems with that. Jesus is supposed to be doing something and he's not. And little by little, that plant that's there can begin to wither if we're not careful. We've got to not only receive that word, but you've got to remain responsive even in the midst of difficulty. It's one of my favorite reasons for gathering with God's people. We need each other. When my heart is weak, oftentimes my wife's heart is strong. When we're both weak, We've got other people around us who are strong, helping us stay the course, remaining responsive even in the midst of difficulty. I mean, think about people that you've known throughout the years. Maybe they sat in a worship service like you maybe at some point in time, and then they encountered difficulty, and they walked away. I'm amazed at how many times when people are up against difficulty, they move away from, away from that which they need the most. Time in the Word, the body of Christ, prayer, and little by little they walk almost to the point of no return, and they shrivel up and they die. But think about others, maybe even around you right now, As you've done life together through the years, you've gone through some hard stuff together. And you are able to look at some of the people around you and say, you are one of those people who received the word of God and you remained responsive even in the midst of difficulty. And that's a testimony to us. Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, one of the things the author of Hebrews does is is share all of this faith. And he says, you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, run with endurance the race that is set before. We need each other to remain responsive even in the midst of difficulty. So a follower of Jesus receives and responds or believes and is saved and then remains responsive even in the midst of difficulty. Let's look at the third soil in verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And so you think about that one thing that you're trying to grow in your garden, and all these other weeds are around it, and they all seem to be really healthy. But what's going on with your particular plants? It's just being choked. Jesus says more 
about that in verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way are choked by the cares, riches, pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So in other words, we've got a plant. It's able to keep growing, but it's just being choked out by all these other things in life. Choked out because energy and priority is given to other concerns. Jesus tries to spell those out for us. The worry, the riches, the pleasure that is there. And you can take each one of those topics and do a three-week sermon series on them. You think about Jesus in Matthew where he says, hey, don't be anxious. Which of you can add a cubit to his stature, an inch to your height by worrying? And Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't worry. And your heavenly father provides for them. He's going to provide for you too. But it's so easy for us to to become consumed by the things that we're worried about. And all of our energy and all of our focus goes into these things. And it begins to choke out any spiritual life that is in us. And it seems so legitimate, doesn't it? We've got a lot of things that we potentially can worry about. Life in this fallen world is not easy. We're bombarded in our lives. But worry, we could talk so much about that. Riches. Well, the parable of the rich man in chapter 12. And he's got all these riches and he's consumed by them. So what does he do with them? Well, he builds a bigger barn. I can have more riches. Now I can be consumed with more. And then just like that, his life is taken from him. Just gone. It's all over. And those riches had just choked out his life. I've never been anywhere in the world where I haven't met someone who just wants one more dollar. It doesn't matter how poor they are, how wealthy they are. Everybody just wants one more because we really believe it's going to do something for us. I was reading the paper today, James Harden with Houston Rockets, four-year contract extension, $118 million, I think it was. I said, wow. Well, I could use that, $118 million. And what would I do with $118 million? I'd probably become so preoccupied with it, so focused on it, probably just choke out the life. Things like this. Maybe it's, it's either riches, the, the much of it or the little of it that can consume our energies. But then the pleasures of life. John, 1 John 2 says, love not the world. These are the things in the world. Because these things separate us from the love of God. They choke it out. Our church over in La Mirada has been going through 1 Peter until we took a break for the summer. But I got to preach through the passage, chapter 2, verse 11. And it's just so powerful to see what Peter says there. Fleshly lusts that wage war against the soul. They wage war And so when Jesus is talking about these things that can choke out life, worry and riches and pleasures, we're not talking about simple things. We're talking about things that can control us, things that can literally take the life out of us. They are waging war. They're not passive. They're not just standing over there, minding their own business. They are aggressively moving toward you trying to grab you and choke out any life that's in you. And so what is the lesson we learn from this? 
A follower of Jesus responds, receives, responds, and remains responsive, keeping the kingdom as highest priority, even when confronted with worries and riches and pleasures, staying focused. Again, Hebrews 12, laying aside the sins that entangle us, those things that beset us, and those, those things that entangle us, and we keep on pressing on. We've got to recognize our vulnerability. Is something choking you today? Something choking you? You see, we don't want to put ourselves in that category. It's hard for us to be honest. And so Jesus is saying, take out your heart. Look at the soil, the condition of your heart. Is something choking you? Your job, is it choking you? Is it become that highest priority? Is it sports, athletics, hearing the, the game clock over here and the buzzer going off? I spent many hours in this school. Boys basketball, booster club president, assistant junior high basketball coach, countless games. Things like that can consume you if you're not careful. Is it good stuff? Being with my son, having a great time with his family? Yes, it can consume you if you're not careful. It can choke the life out of you. Your love of reading, just books. I'm reading a series of books right now. I'm reading Killing Reagan right now. I can't wait to get to the next chapter. That can choke the light, spiritual life out of us, can it? Just constantly just wanting to stay involved in it. The internet, sins that consume us, a relationship, a desired relationship, a lost relationship, money, promotion, getting into the college of your choice. What can it be, these things that can choke us? See, that soil doesn't reflect a disciple because those kind of things right there don't lead to fruit. It's going to choke the life out of you. And so Jesus says, no. These things are waging war against you. Fight against them. So a follower of Jesus is going to receive and respond, not like the first soil. A follower of Jesus is going to remain responsive even in the midst of difficulty, unlike the second soil. And a follower of Jesus is going to keep the kingdom as the highest priority, even though we've got all of these things that are fighting against us, unlike the third soil. And that brings us to the fourth soil. A follower of Jesus is going to remain responsive to the point of bearing fruit while persevering to the end with patience. Just going to keep on hanging in there to bear fruit. Verse 8, Jesus said, And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. There's fruit. There's a harvest. He also says down in verse 15, as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast. I love that term in the Bible. Hold it fast, tight. What are the things you like to hold on tight to? Well, Jesus says you do that to this um, good word. They hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. And I like that word patience because it brings back to mind, second soil, the difficulties of life. It brings back to mind the third soil, these things that wage war against your soul, the worry, the riches, the pleasure, just with patience. Just a long grind of just receiving, continuing to take in, and little by little our hearts are transformed and we become more like Christ, and we bear fruit. And God begins to do a work in and through us. 
You see, I've been doing a study of discipleship in this last year, and one of the things you learn about a study, what the Bible says about disciple is a disciple disciples. That's just a given. In other words, we are priests. That's another image the Bible uses. We have people around us, and wherever they are in relationship with God, we are bringing them into a deeper relationship with God. That's what disciples do. They disciple. They evangelize or they edify and build up the body of Christ using their gifts to serve. We are priests. We are bringing people to God. We're bearing fruit. That's what disciples do. We're constantly engaging in what Jesus was engaging in, city to city, village to village, proclaiming the kingdom of God until the whole world knows. I wear two wedding bands, and it catches people off guard sometimes. It's not because I have two wives. I brought my first wife today, Joni. I have another wife at another church. Um, I, I wear two wedding bands because when my grandfather died, my mom and dad were pulling out some of his things, and there was his wedding band. And my dad said, yeah, you guys can take something if you want it. Boom, I just grabbed it. And I put it on my finger, and I was thinking I would give it to my son as a promise ring one day, and he thought, uh, Dad, that's dorky. He wanted something else, and so he got this other thing after we had our sexual purity talk. So I just continued to wear it, and here's why. Because my grandfather endured to the end with my grandmother, and I just want that there as a reminder to me, not, that I'm, not only that I'm married to this wonderful woman right here, but that I've got those who have gone before me who endured to the end. And that's what a disciple does. He endures to the end. He keeps on loving, keeps on staying in there. Oh, there's distractions, difficulty. No, I'm going I'm to stay the course. Oh, there's other things that are waging war against us, worries, riches, pledges. But I'm going to stay that course with this, continuing to stay the course. Soil number four does reflect what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He's that one who stays the course. She's that one who stays the course, bearing fruit in life, receiving and responding, hanging in there even in difficulty and continuing to go down that path. And so when we just, I told you we'd only be able to get to about this part of the passage but it's important for us to see this because, I, like I already said, verses 16 through 18 simply says, if your heart's responding, you're going to get more. If you are stubbornly refusing and rebelling against the Lord, he's going to take away what you think you even have. And he's reminding, hey, you're a follower of me. Let me tell you about my family. My family are those who do the will of God. And so Jesus wants us to just pause for a moment and pull out that heart and say, what is the condition of it right now? What needs to be pulled out of there? Are there some rocks, some difficulties that are hindering that growing relationship with the Lord? And you just need to be digging those out and setting them aside. Are there some thorns, weeds that are choking it out? And you need to do some deep surgery and rip some of these things out, worries and riches and pleasure, what would it be? See, Jesus isn't saying, hey, work really hard to get this thing right. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, be who you are. If you're a disciple of mine, this is what a disciple of mine looks like. A disciple of mine puts his hands to the plow. He doesn't look back. 
It keeps on moving forward. Now, can someone have the rocky ground or the, the weedy ground and still be a believer? Certainly. They're just going down a really dangerous path. But there's no assurance of salvation for that person. The only assurance we have is the faithful enduring and the fruit bearing that's in our life. And so Jesus says, look at the condition of your heart. Consider what it is. But every time you look at the condition of your heart, always look at it with the eyes of the gospel. If you are in Christ, you've been declared righteous. And so Jesus says, be who you are. Live that way. Let's bow for a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Joe and the worship team to come up here, but I don't know what the Lord has been stirring in your heart today, but I'm a firm believer that when God's word is preached, the Holy Spirit is moving, and our hearts are to respond. What is it the Lord is moving in your hearts today? Lord, I pray for each one of us that your word would be alive and powerful. Lord, give us good soil. I pray for everyone in this room that we could be who we are. That as we're in Christ, that we would live that. So, Lord, help us right now. And I just ask each one of you just to spend some time in, in private prayer for just a moment before we sing together.